This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 100. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now here's Jeff. Hi there, and welcome to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where we sit down with a successful and inspiring author each week and talk about his or her latest book and unique insights in areas like entrepreneurship, productivity, personal development, marketing, business, leadership, and much, much more. Today for episode 100, I've compiled the top 10 leadership lessons learned from the first 100 episodes of the podcast. That's right. Today we'll be hearing from not one, but 10 former guests on the show. We'll count them down from number 10 on down to number one. First, though, it is my duty to tell you that the Read to Lead podcast episode number 100 is sponsored by the folks at Updesk. I have an Updesk now. I paid for it, by the way. It was not given to me for free, and I love it. In fact, I'm standing up right now. It's a motorized desk that goes up and down whenever I want to. Check them out at readtoleadpodcast.com slash desk to find the one that's right for you. The show is also sponsored in part by the good folks at SoFi. They're a leading marketplace lender where you could save thousands when you refinance your federal and private student loans. Go to sofi.com slash lead and accelerate your success with a smarter loan. Of all the things I've accomplished in life, 100 episodes of a podcast is one that I am truly and honestly proud of. The feedback we've gotten over the last couple of years from you has been tremendous. Appreciated so very much. And it is as important now as ever that you help spread the word about the Read to Lead podcast. And I can't think of a better episode to do that with than episode 100 that is going to include a look back at 10 conversations and feature the top 10 leadership lessons learned. If you have never shared the Read to Lead podcast, or maybe you have shared an episode here or there in the past, I want to ask you to do one thing when this episode is over, and that is share it with your network on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, wherever it makes sense for you to share it. And by the way, the link to do just that is simply readtoleadpodcast.com slash one zero zero. Thank you in advance for helping spread the word about this show. We really appreciate it. Well, let's get started with our countdown. Coming in at number 10 is a lesson learned from John Acuff, shared in episode 79. In his book, Do Over, Rescue Monday, Reinvent Work, and Never Get Stuck, John talks about the concept of a career savings account. He shares why it's important you invest in your own and how it made the difference for him when he left a job that he truly loved. John begins the story within that first 24 hours after that decision to leave that job he loved became public. That evening, we went to a family fun night um, at my kid's school. And, you know, as anybody who's a parent knows, the first thing you do at a family fun night is you go to the um, balloon animal guy or the face painting person, um, or the state takes your kids away. 
And so we did that and the balloon animal guy, because the town I live in, Franklin, is really small. So everybody knows everybody. Everybody's famous. And so he looked at me and said, oh, hey, I love your books. Um, you know, and then he paused and said, sorry about today. Best of luck in the future. And he was referring to that I had transitioned out of a job. And I started to notice that a lot of people seem to have this thought of, oh, no, it's going to be miserable. Transition is always horrible. And it didn't feel that way. It definitely felt scary because I think anything that matters feels scary. And there's fear involved. You know, the bigger the story, the bigger the dragon. But we felt prepared and we started to look at what life had been like the last five years. And I realized I'd been making these investments and they were investments into what I call a career savings account which is relationships plus skills plus character times hustle. And the problem is most of us spend 18 years getting ready for college and then we graduate and the next thing we get ready for is death and retirement. Then there's this 40-year gap where we just kind of get by. And I started to realize the relationships I'd been building for a while were the ones I needed most when I went through a career transition and the skills. And you need all four. That's, that's the funny thing about life is that Nobody that's listening to this heard me say skills, relationships, character, hustle, and thought, whoa, whoa, revolutionary relationships? Like, you're going to work with humans? Get out of here. But most of us have never applied them in that way. And you need all four because if you only have three and you're missing the fourth, it falls apart. If you have great relationships, great skills, great, great hustle but no character, you become Tiger Woods and it, it falls apart. Um, if you have great skills, great character, great um, great hustle, but no relationships, you become the emperor with new clothing. No one can tell you the truth. And leaders who can't be questioned always end up doing questionable things. And so that's what the book's about is how do you invest in your career savings? The reality is I don't know what you're going to do in 10 years, but I do know I can predict that at every job you ever had, you're going to need those four things and your ability to invest in them gives you a lot more freedom, a lot more creativity, and a lot more runway. Coming in at number nine is a lesson from Hal Elrod. Hal was my guest on episode 68 of the podcast, and Hal is the author of The Miracle Morning, the not-so-obvious secret guaranteed to transform your life before 8 a.m. And I had the chance to ask Hal about one of his favorite Jim Rohn quotes, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. In some circles, that thinking is considered elitist or exclusionary, but not according to Hal. It's not a selfish thing. Here's the, here's the deal. I really believe that every single one of us has a responsibility to live to our full potential because how we live our lives gives everyone around us permission to do the same. And that's our friends, our family, our loved ones. So if we accept less than our best, we are simply showing everyone around us that, hey, it's okay to accept less than your best, right? If we, if we go out and eat unhealthy food or bring in healthy food into our homes, we're showing everyone around us, hey, it's okay to eat this way. And then they feel like, hey, well, you're, you're eating horrible food. Well, that tastes great. I'll do it too. So I think that's a huge responsibility. And, and yeah, the point is this, is that seeking out people, yeah, you, like you said, not about being an elitist. It's about you cannot live to your full potential if you are not surrounding yourself with people that are striving to live to their full potential. So you owe it not only to yourself, but to every person that you ever meet or care about to surround yourself with the people that are going to bring out the best in you. If you are a regular listener to this podcast, then you know that Todd Henry is one of my favorite authors. He first appeared on episode 17 of the podcast as we discussed his book, Die Empty, Unleash your best work every day. More recently, Todd came on the show to talk about his latest book, Louder Than Words, 
Harness the Power of Your Authentic Voice. That was in episode 93 just a few weeks ago. Needless to say, it was pretty difficult to narrow down all the lessons Todd shared to one. But coming in at number eight is what Todd calls the curse of peripheral vision. Yeah, we, we live in a culture where I, I think we, we suffer from the curse of peripheral vision. You know, peripheral vision could be useful for, for benchmarking, being able to look left and right as you're, as you're moving forward. It can be useful for benchmarking, for uh, learning, for establishing, okay, am I on the right course? Is this the right place for me? How much progress am I making? That's fine. But one of the principles of you know, running and vision is that you tend to gravitate when you're running toward wherever you're looking. So if you're looking to the side instead of looking ahead, you'll eventually find that you're running off to the side. You're going you're gonna to get off course. And I think because we are so inundated with the stories of other people, the ideas of other people, we can look at the career paths of other people. And honestly, only the shiny parts typically of other people's lives and career paths you know, through social media. It's really easy for us to become distracted by a peripheral vision and to get off course. And, you know, these little narratives start cropping up in our lives. Like, well, Hey, look at what Jeff is doing. You, you know, you should, maybe you should be doing what Jeff is doing because he seems to be getting a lot of attention for what he's doing. Or, Hey, look at what Jill is doing over there. Maybe you should follow what Jill is doing because she was just named senior vice president. And boy, you know, what would all your friends from high school say if they knew that you were still doing what you're doing right now, you know, instead of being a senior vice president of your organization, it's really easy to let these little narratives creep in or, you know, uh, hey, if you want to be somebody of substance, you have to be one of those people in the spotlight. You have to be one of those people getting all the attention. You know, these are little limiting narratives that begin to infiltrate our lives and they cause us to act in ways that in many ways belie the true body of work that we are capable of building, you know, and, and so we get off course over time by chasing these limiting narratives, these narratives that want us to be something that we're not. And this applies personally for sure. You know, what well, one way to counter this is to have somebody in your life that you regularly ask the question, what am I doing that doesn't seem like me? If you have somebody in your life that can, that can answer that question in a true and, and direct way, that's always very helpful. Um, but this also applies to organizations. I mean, I've had so many organizations. I mean, I just had this conversation the other day, Jeff. I was speaking to a group of about, you know, 2,000, 2,500 people in Boston the other day. And, uh, you know, a gentleman said, my organization is so stuck and nobody knows it. You know, nobody knows that we're stuck and they're, you know, we're, we're basically protecting the ground we've taken because we're so afraid to try something new. And I thought, wow, that is, you know, really sad. And it's also very profound at the same time, because it's so easy for us to slip into groupthink um, within organizations. So we have to be careful to weed out these limiting narratives and have the courage to confront them and continue moving forward in the face of them. If you're anything like me, your growing up years may have involved you being surrounded by people who instilled in you that big ideas, grandiose ideas were for other people and not you. In her book, Stand Out, How to Develop Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It, author Dory Clark encourages you not to buy into the lie that grandiose ideas are just for other people. We had the pleasure of her company in episode 74. I think this is such an important point, Jeff, because it, it used to be that there really were structural barriers that made things very difficult for people. I mean, I, I don't want to overstate that. It's... Uh, you know, it's it's simply untrue that uh, 50 years ago or even 20 years ago, people would have had equal opportunity to be able to to do things. Um, you know, I remember being 
uh, a, you know, a teenager who wanted to be a rock star. And it was, you know, the greatest thing in the world when my parents, uh, you know, bought a little studio time for me to make my own cassette. And that cost, you know, hundreds of dollars. And, and, you know, that was from some local guy named Bob, <laughs> you know, if I wanted to actually make a real record that real people bought, you know, that would have been tens of thousands of dollars. And, you know, I would have had to know people in New York or know people in, in Los Angeles to be able to get it done. But, you know, we're, a lot of us are just stuck in that same mentality. We haven't really uh, forced ourselves to update our thinking. Now we, we have the possibility. I mean, this is, it's, it's literally like, um, you know, the, the JetBlue has a, a, a great uh, tagline for some of their commercials. It says, go, there's nothing stopping you. And I, I think that, uh, that it's really true that in a lot of ways, it's just us stopping ourselves. We, and we do this by making justifications, by saying, oh, well, you know, that's, that's, that's for somebody else. You know, geniuses can, can think this up or do this, or I'm no Elon Musk, I'm no Richard Branson. But the truth is, you know, we're not saying, oh, yeah, you have to start a company and go to the moon. Uh, it's not about that. It's about saying, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to think big. And it could be in the world, for sure. It could be in the galaxy. But it, it can be in your company. Why can't you change that policy? Why can't you argue to create a, a new product or a new initiative? Why can't you be the one raising your hand saying, you know what, let's just pilot this. Let's just try it and see how it goes. And it's the people who are willing to do that in our current economy that are going to reap disproportionate benefits. Episode 88 brought with it a visit from former White House Press Secretary Dana Perino, co-host of The Five and author of the book And the Good News Is. Coming in at number six on our countdown is a concept that Dana says more leaders could benefit from implementing. She says sometimes the best action to take as a leader is no action at all. You know, I learned a lot about that from Dick Cheney and from Don Rumsfeld. Two people that most people think, what? How could you learn anything from them? I learned a lot from them. These are two men that did pretty amazing things for their country and agree or disagree with their policies. They held amazing positions and were able to um, lead big organizations many times through changes or through strife. One of the things that both of them said is that they learned that as leaders in a meeting, for example, the most important thing that they could do was to say nothing. And they used to watch Dick Cheney in um, policy meetings with um, the staff and then and we would go in for senior policy time with the president, and he would be very quiet. If he ever did speak up, you can bet your bottom dollar that he was going to ask the toughest question. And later on, I, I read an interview that he did in which he was asked, like, you know, you're always considered to be this, the, the guy with no, a man of few words. Like, is it just because you're you know, an introvert? And he said that, no, it was a conscientious decision because he realized that when a leader speaks up in a meeting, it immediately quells the discussion amongst other people so that staff feels like, well, I don't want to say what I really feel because he's already played it, you know, laid down his cards and I don't want to be embarrassed around him. And I'll just figure out another way to you know, go around and try to get my message across. And so I think one of the best ways is for leaders is to sit back and listen and to let a discussion go on so that people aren't afraid to give their opinion. 
I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors. It's companies like SoFi that make the Read to Lead podcast possible. They're a leading marketplace lender, and they offer student loan refinancing mortgages and personal loans as well. So if you're carrying high student loan balances, you could actually save thousands by refinancing and consolidating those loans at a lower rate, of course. SoFi borrowers save on average of about $14,000 over the life of their loans, and I can't think of anybody who wouldn't want to do that. In addition to savings, uh, SoFi members benefit from unemployment protection. So should you lose your job, SoFi pauses your payment and provides access to a career services team for personalized career planning and job search assistance. So to check out a full list of products and benefits, just visit this special Read to Lead website from SoFi, S-O-F-I dot com slash read to lead. Now, for a limited time and as a listener to the show, you're eligible for a special $200 welcome bonus when you refinance your student loans with SoFi. Again, that address, sofi.com slash read to lead to take advantage of their services and that special offer. All loans are made by SoFi Lending Corporation, NMLS number 1121636 and CFL license number 6054612. Currently numbering three, author Jeff Goins has the distinction of appearing on our show more than any other guest. His most recent appearances have included discussions about his latest book, The Art of Work, A Proven Path to Discovering What You Were Meant to Do. In his book, Jeff addresses the issue of finding a mentor. Leadership lesson number five from the first 100 episodes of the Read to Lead podcast is this. The question how do I find a mentor is the wrong question to ask. Yeah, I think it's really hard to find a mentor. I mean, I mean, have you ever tried to get somebody to mentor you and they turned you down or, you know, avoided your phone calls? I have. It's awkward. It's hard, you know, to get somebody to say yes to potentially a lifetime of investing in your life. That feels uh, a bit much, especially in a pretty, you know, segmented, fractured culture, highly individualistic, you know, I'm talking about, uh, you know, being in the U.S. or even, you know, in, in much of the Western world, very individualistic culture. Contrast that with, you know, uh, other societies. I mean, this isn't, you know, uh, like this in all parts of the world, uh, but in kind of post-industrial societies, it's it's certainly this way. Um, you know, people kind of live these solitary lives where you go to work, drive home, pull into a garage, don't see your neighbor, you know, like it's, it's pretty individualistic. It's hard to engage with somebody at that intimate of a level where you're asking them to mentor you. So I don't think you should go ask somebody to be a mentor. I think the, that's the worst way to find a mentor. It, it can work. It's a way. But I think it's one of the worst ways to find a mentor. The best way to find a mentor is to recognize the one that's already there. And, and so I, I argue that we have mentors all around us all the time. We just need eyes to see them. I mentioned Jeff has appeared on the show three times, more than any other guest. Our next three featured authors have all appeared on the Read to Lead podcast twice. Author Liz Weissman first appeared on the show on episode 30 when we talked about her book, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter. We heard from her again in episode 62 as we discussed her book, Rookie Smarts, Why Learning Beats Knowing in the New Game of Work. The leadership lesson from Liz is fourth on our countdown. Liz says, not knowing what you're doing can actually aid you in doing it well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and that's just the core of the research is that we looked at about 400 different work scenarios. You know, and it could be anything from develop a training course to debug uh, a software program to build out a corporate campus. And we looked at how experienced people do that work and how inexperienced people. You know, I, I kind of in the book refer to them as veterans and rookies, meaning how do we work when we're in sort of a veteran mode? We've done it before. And how do we work when we're in a rookie mode? And, um, you know, we, we looked at how people think, how people behave, what they tend to do, and also how well they perform. And here's what we found studying across those diverse scenarios is, number one, we found that rookies are really surprisingly strong performers. Um, in When we look at the performance across broad industries, people with experience tend to perform at higher levels than rookies, but it's by a very, very small margin, which surprised me. But when you cut that data in the knowledge industries, we find that rookies tend to outperform people with experience, particularly in the area of innovation and speed, surprisingly. We tend to be faster when we don't know what we're doing. You know, go figure. And and, and it was really interesting to see why that was. I think the second thing that was surprising is that, um, you know, when we looked at the highest performing rookies and the highest performing veterans, we found that they work in radically different ways. But when we looked at the bottom performers, the failure profile looks very similar. It really is operating from a place of hubris. And I think having experience isn't itself a problem, but you know, it's the hubris that comes with that. And that's, I think, one of the other things that, that we found in this research is that experience does create a number of really troubling blind spots. Um, you know, of course, with experience comes a number of virtues. We are competent. We build maybe a strong reputation. We can attract resources. We're good at marshalling resources. We actually have better powers of intuition when we're experienced. And I think the last thing that was surprising is that rookies really aren't what we seem. You know, we, we think of rookies as these kind of bumbling, you know, kind of clueless clots. Like sometimes when I think of rookies, you know, I think of like that person in the, the TSA security line who just seems like baffled that their laptop has to come out of their bag. You're like, what? Huh? I can't bring water through here. And you're like, oh, rookie move. You're slowing us all down. But we found that rookies actually are remarkably alert. When we don't know what we're doing, we operate kind of eyes wide open and um, we pay attention. We listen. We ask questions. Um, we think of them as sort of naive uh, we find that they're actually very politically astute because they don't know the lay of the land. And so they're paying attention to a lot of signals. We listen to other people. We, we work cautiously. We, we work quickly. And it's why we tend to perform so well when we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> Good to know there's hope for me after all. Chris Brogan is not only one of my favorite authors, he's one of my favorite people. He first appeared on episode 21 to talk about his book, The Impact Equation, co-written with Julian Smith. We had him back for episode 36 to discuss The Freaks Shall Inherit the Earth. One of the concepts that Chris espouses is to sell from the buyer's side of the table, he says. Leadership lesson number three on our countdown comes from Chris Brogan, who simply says passion 
is not enough. It's always never what you know, but what someone else needs that has to be your focal point. So uh, no one cares what I know. They say to me, well, I, I put out a pitch yesterday. I sent an email to a guy who runs a company and I said to him, hey, I wanted to create this content series for you where this is what the content will look like. Here's how it's going to drive you uh, signups for your event. And here's how it's going to make you money. And so I want money up front for this because I'm going to do the work, but here's how it delivers value to your doorstep. What most people send is, Hey, I'm pretty smart and I blog really well and I'm a good typist and I'm on the Twitters. And so you should give me some money. And the guy goes, well, what, what, what do I get? I started with, here's how I'm going to make you some money. So now give me some money and then let's see how it goes. And that's, that's a business transaction. So most times when we go to things like a grocery store, the grocery store products don't say we're the best and we're the best because we are smart and we know what we want, we've done. They say you deserve this or you should have this or here's how it makes your day better. And we have to sell from the buyer's side of the table is the most important thing you have to tell someone for how they can you know, harness what they know into something good. No one cares what you know. We're so worried that people think we're fakes and phonies and frauds. And we're so worried that our resume doesn't cover anything. No one cares. If some guy came to me today and said, look, if you just put $500 in my hand and I told you it's totally legal what I'm going to do, but I'll give you $2,000 in a few weeks, I would do it. Because that's what I want. I would like, yes, more money. That sounds great. Thanks. Go. Um, that's what we need to do. We need to show the deliverables and you know the benefits, not the features, as some people say. And I find that people trying to sell themselves do the worst job ever of that because they're still trying to prove that they're worth it. Similar to the concept of rookie smarts discussed by Liz Weissman, our next featured author says that it's not what you know, but how fast you can learn that's most important. Dan Miller has twice appeared on the podcast, first in episode number one to talk about wisdom meets passion. He again appeared in episode 67 earlier this year when we discussed the newly revised and expanded 10th anniversary edition of 48 Days to the Work You Love. Dan is super passionate about the topic of education. Some of the travails of our current system have come up many times on the podcast, and Dan goes so far as to say college degrees should come with an expiration date. It's leadership lesson number two on our countdown. Well, I like to challenge people's thinking, but you know, anything that we see out there, if it's a quart of milk in the shelves, it's going to have an expiration date. There are a whole lot of things that we know are changing. I mean, we're really being told at this point that probably 15% of what we know now is going to be totally obsolete five years from now. You know, it's, it's hard to measure some of those things. It's one of those the experts say, and we can go on from there. But when we look back, I mean, I got my degree from the Ohio State University many, many years ago. The computer language that I was trained in was Fortran. I mean, it was like using, you know, beads along a string, essentially. Well, it certainly doesn't have a whole lot of relevance today. And, and if you're going to do something in the computer arena, people are not going to want to know how you got your degree, where you got your degree, what you learned 20 years ago, 10 years ago, or even five years ago. They're going to want to know what have you done in the last six months that proves your relevance to our business today. So in that sense, I really do think it would be reasonable for colleges to be realistic about that. I mean, knowing that 10 years after graduation, 80% of college graduates are working in something totally unrelated to their degree anyway, 
I don't think it would be unrealistic at all to say, you know what, you're getting a degree in graphic design. This is probably good for six years. You know, you're getting this degree, even in things like biology. You know, this is probably good for maybe 12 years. Now, I know colleges aren't going to do that. They don't want to think like that. But as we as people on the street need to be realistic about the relevance of things that we learned 10 years ago, probably not much. You know, at this point, it, it's not a matter of what you know. I mean, you can pick up that little thing you have in your, your pocket called an iPhone and get any piece of information that you need to have. So it's not what you know, it's how fast you can learn that's going to make you a player in today's environment. And that brings us to the number one leadership lesson learned from the first 100 episodes of the Read to Lead podcast. And the reality is, I couldn't pick just one from this particular featured author. You might say there's a 1A and a 1B. So you came expecting 10 lessons, you're actually getting 11. Seth Godin was my guest on episode 66 of the Read to Lead podcast, the most downloaded episode, the episode with the most comments on the website, and the interview I get more comments about in person than any other guest who's appeared on the show. Frankly, I had a lot of trouble picking just two leadership lessons from my conversation with Seth. But Leadership Lesson 1B focuses on the area of criticism. Seth simply says, stop trying to please everybody. Reassurance is overrated. There is no amount of reassurance that is sufficient to get you to believe. That external reassurance is something that we seek all the time. Uh, Amazon has ruined the lives of countless authors by publishing for all to see reviews from unnamed anonymous critics. And I have never once met an author who said, I read all my one-star reviews and now I'm a much better writer. So three years ago, I stopped reading my Amazon reviews and it was one of the smartest decisions I ever made. Because if someone goes to the trouble of giving you a one-star review, the book wasn't for them. It's not that the book was bad, it just wasn't for them. And dismissing that, not hating those people, not resenting those people, but just saying it's not for you and permitting yourself to do great work for the people who it is for is freeing and frightening. And it's frightening because as soon as you realize you don't have to please everyone, the last excuse you have for doing your best work goes away. And finally, leadership lesson 1A, the number one numero uno leadership lesson from the first 100 episodes of the Read to Lead podcast. Put simply, it's this. Do first, believe second. The rational part of our brain knows uh, that we can do certain things. It knows that we know how to type and that technically we could post a blog. Uh, but the irrational part of our brain, the fear-based part of our brain says, I don't believe I can do it well. I don't believe it's my turn. I don't believe I have a right. And so what we often do is have an internal debate. We litigate with ourselves, with the rational part of our brain, trying to get the believing part of our brain to come along, to prove to the other part of our brain. And I'm being very literal here. There are two parts of our brain. I can show you on an MRI that there are two parts here arguing with each other. And I think that's a mistake because we don't take action because we believe. We believe because we take action. 
And that simple backwards sentence is at the core of doing work that really matters. That you see this when someone goes and does something radical and then two or three people tentatively copy them and then 30 people copy them and then suddenly everyone's doing it. Well, the reason that it took a few cycles is because seeing really is believing and even more than seeing, doing is believing. So what we have to do if we want to make a difference, do first, believe second, and we can train ourselves to do that. I truly hope you enjoyed this look back at what I consider to be the top leadership lessons learned from our first 100 episodes. If you liked what you heard, please share it, readtoleadpodcast.com slash one zero zero. As always, you can also rate and review the podcast. Five star ratings and reviews particularly are appreciated. Read to lead podcast.com slash Stitcher or read to lead podcast.com slash iTunes if the Apple Podcast app is your podcast app of choice. Whether you've recently discovered the podcast or you've been along for the ride from the very beginning, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for making these first 100 episodes possible. I hope, too, that you've found the show to be a valuable resource in your personal and professional growth. Well, that does it for this episode. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.